the shots were going one by one. It was like if he was just walking and just choosing who to shoot. So I took that moment and I said, okay, Lord, well, I guess this is a time that you're giving me to make peace with you because I'm about to die. I'm Adira Polite, and this is Then God Moved. Today, you'll hear from Angel Colon, a survivor of the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting that occurred in Orlando, Florida. As Angel will tell you, he was one of the fortunate ones. Though he was severely wounded, he was not one of the 49 people who lost their lives. Not only did Angel survive, but the shooting kicked off a series of events that drove him into the arms of Jesus. It's an incredibly moving episode, but it does contain graphic details of that night, so it may not be suitable for all listeners. That said, you're all in for a major, major blessing. Angel, thanks for being here. I honestly couldn't be more excited. Of course. Glad to be here. So the night of the shooting was one of many turning points in your life, but let's not start there. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Yes, I was born and raised in Massachusetts, Natick, Massachusetts. A lot of people are like, that's very random. It is. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. I lived in Framingham, Massachusetts. Grew up with an amazing family, amazing family. I I also was born and raised in the gospel. Uh, I was born and raised in church with a family full of ministers, worshipers. Um, so ever since I was a child, my, my parents planted a seed in me. And um, that's something that I am very thankful for, very thankful for. And I always tell parents, uh, no matter how young your kids are, plant that seed, share the word of God with them because it will stay in there. Yes, it's so true. So when did this struggle begin? The struggle that you've been pretty public about between faith and sexuality? I remember at the age of five, uh, I already started uh, struggling with my identity. I noticed that I was attracted more to boys. I would always go more to the boys than the girls, their their look and just how they were. Uh, But because that seed was planted in me, I knew that it was wrong. I knew already was right from wrong, what was from God and what was not from God. And I was only five years old. I would always pray to the Lord and say, take this away from me. But things started to erupt. Um, I was kissing my best friend and I liked it. Uh, I remember um, one of my cousins touching me as well. Oh, man. And um, it kind of faded away um, until my teen years. I was um, on fire for the Lord. I received the Holy Spirit at the age of 12. I was baptized. So I was on fire for God, but the struggles started coming back. There was something that I was missing in the church. Mm-hmm. And that was the openness. That was having a mentor, having a, a, a pastor who I could talk to, just having a leader that I could talk to. But at that time, the openness was not there. It would be very awkward if I go to someone and say, hey, I'm attracted to boys. The stigma, right. And um, so I just kept on bottoming up everything inside until I was 18 years old. My family was going through a hard time. Um, There was some uh, um, infidelity and that just 
broke my heart. That I remember I took that opportunity to be like, all right, Lord, will you let this happen? My parents are not together anymore. Well, I'm going to go ahead and live the life that I've been wanting to live my whole life. Mm. I want to be gay. I want to be proud and I want to be happy about it. And that's what I'm going to do. But I made two packs with God before I strayed away. And I said, Lord, I promise you, I will never work with music in the world because I was a worshiper in church. Mm. And that's my passion. So you were promising to never make secular music. Yes. I told the Lord, I, I will never do music for the world. And I will never be in a committed relationship with a man. Yes, I will date, but I will never be in a committed relationship. Hmm. So why did you make that distinction between dating around and being in a relationship? I knew already that one day I was going to return. I was going to return back to him. I already knew it. Wow. Hmm. You know, because it was just my calling. It was just a feeling that I had and I loved him so much. Hmm. If I know that one day I'm going to return to God, to leave something that you've been in for years, to leave a person for Jesus. If you're breaking someone else's life apart as well. Right. Already at that age, I was like, I'm not going to go through any of that. Mm -hmm. And I made that pact that I was never going to attach to someone. Okay. Uh, so I made that pact and I strayed away from the Lord. I went head on into the gay lifestyle. I started living my life. And about a year passed by. A year passed by and I was missing God. I was missing worshiping. And I said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to give you another chance. Because um, I miss you and I want to come back to you already. And I remember I stopped everything. I stopped going to the clubs. I stopped talking to my friends and I just went to church. Okay. How old were you at this point? Uh, I was um, I, I was turning 20 because I was 18 when I left church. I was turning 20. Uh, so I came back to church. I started to worship again. I was doing good. My prayer life was awesome. Um, but once again, I was missing that openness. Mm. I didn't have no one to talk to. I didn't have a leader to talk to. I didn't see anyone else that had left the lifestyle. I thought that I was the only one going through this. And I became weaker and weaker again. And I said, Lord, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. You know, I would tell him, I just want to be straight. Mm. I just want to be straight. Just take this away from me. I just want to be straight. And um, I couldn't take it anymore. So a year after, again, I strayed away from the Lord. And how it says in the Bible, when those spirits come back to see if your body's empty, they will, oh, yes. they will take advantage. And they really did because it was worse than before. He's referring to Matthew 12, 43 through 45, which reads, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. My life was so different. My personality was different. My attitude was different. Uh, my anger was different. Uh, I was a whole other angel than I was before. I told myself, I will never get into drugs. This is not my scene. And I get into drugs. I got addicted to cocaine. And um, 
when you party, you know, and you're doing drugs at the moment, you don't think it's it's a big thing. But, you know, now looking back to it, you know, I've done 10 lines of Coke before. Um, you know, I was doing Coke at work. I was doing Coke at home by myself for no reason. I always thank the Lord. Like, you know, I never overdosed because I was addicted to cocaine. So you were out in the wilderness, so to speak, for about six years, from ages 20 to 26. You were obviously far from the Lord, but clearly he was right on your heels. How did you feel him trying to get through to you? You know, I would head into the club or party or I was going to do whatever I had to do. And I always heard voices. I said, Angel, you do not belong here. What are you doing here? You know, the Holy Spirit always kept on tugging at me, speaking to me. Because even in those years, I still would have my moments where I wanted to worship in my room. Even though people couldn't understand what I was doing, I still was sort of connected, yeah. you know, to my past. And it, it was just something that was in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes in the car, I would be driving, I would put worship music and I would just start weeping and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm living this way. Yeah. I know it's wrong. I just don't know how to stop this. And um, close to 2016, I remember I would get drunk and I would start to sing worship songs in the club. Wow. Uh, That's how, yeah, that's how deep in me it was. But the crazy, beautiful thing is that every time I would sing a worship song drunk, someone would join. And they would just sing along with me. And I was like, whoa, how do you, you know, how do you know this song? And every time someone would say, I used to be a worshiper. I used to be a preacher. I used to be an evangelist. So many, there are so many souls out there that are living in the lifestyle. And would you have a conversation with them? Would y'all like swap stories about when you walked away and all that? We will swap stories of receiving the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wow. So you were already being pulled in 2016, the year of the shooting. I was, I was already fed up with the lifestyle. I was like, Lord, I cannot take this anymore. I am 26 years old. Uh, yes, I'm making the money that I'm making. I can have whatever I want. I can have whoever I want. I can do whatever, but there is a void. I'm empty. Mm-hmm. There's no love. There's no happiness. I was the type that was always laughing. I was making jokes and people thought that I was just having the time of my life. Yes, I had good times. I won't lie. Yes, I had times where I thought, oh, I am happy mm-hmm. or times where, you know, where they were good memories, but deep down inside it was emptiness. You know, people didn't see the moments that I came back alone to my room and just talked to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want to live this anymore. Mm. And um, I remember April 2016, I was praying to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want to come back to you, but I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it by myself. And I started to pray and I call this the dangerous prayer. And I said, Lord, allow me to go through whatever I have to go through for me to come back to you. (laughs) Well, he heard that. Yes. I said, allow me. I didn't say make up a tragedy because he didn't make that happen. He allowed me to go through that because everyone has free will. Exactly. God did not make the shooting happen. Right. He allowed me to go through it. And uh, I, I told the Lord, allow me to go through whatever it is. And I said, I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens to me but just make me come back to you. That was in April and, you know, I totally forgot that I made that prayer. Two months came by um, Saturday, June 11th. Um, I wasn't planning to go out because I, I already was hungover from the night before I was out. Um, but I was out of work already at 2 p.m. that day and I was 
looking a bit scruffy. So I was like, you know what? Um, let me go get a haircut. I now have the time. And I got the haircut and I looked at myself. And what happens when you get a haircut? You're like, okay, I look good. <laughs> I look good. I, you know, I can't just not go out tonight. <laughs> So I started texting my friends. I had a friend coming in from New York that, that weekend as well. My best friend was uh, coming out of work early too. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go out. I went to the mall. I bought me an outfit. I got a text for an invitation to a house party um, before going out. And I said, cool, let's do it. And I got dressed. I went ahead, got my bottle, and I went to the uh, pre-party, the house party. Had a great time there. And um, one of the craziest things about my story is that at the house party, I crashed into, and I don't know if you've heard of him, Luis Ruiz. I have heard of him. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. we crashed into each other at the house party. Oh, wow, wow, wow. But just for our um, listeners, just to give them some background. So he is now kind of like your partner in ministry. Can you give them yeah, a little bit about what he does? Yeah, he's a believer. He's my ministry partner. We are brothers. He's my best friend. Uh, we are now fighting together for the kingdom of God. It's crazy, you know. Four years later, who would have known that we would be together in a ministry called Fearless Identity? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. So whoever's watching, go check out Luis Ruiz, Luis J. Ruiz on Instagram. Uh, his story is amazing. It's it's awesome how we cross paths, but we have our own stories, yeah. but from the same tragedy. Yeah. And uh, it's our his story is just living proof that God is real. Mm. So yeah, so we crashed into each other. I said, hey, gave him a big hug. Asked him if he's going to post. He said, yes, of course. So we all head to post. Uh, great night. Once again, I'm not going to lie. It was a great night with friends. No mm-hmm. drama. Uh, we were dancing. And uh, last call was called. Went ahead, made sure I got my last drink. Came back to the main dance floor. Started chit-chatting. A lot of people already started saying their goodbyes, their kisses. And 2.02 a.m., my life changed completely. I was in the main dance floor, and at 2.02 a.m., I heard a loud pop. I remember I jumped. I dropped my drink. I remember just seeing an orange flash across my face, really, really loud. And then all of a sudden, it just starts going pop, 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 pop. In seconds, the club was in chaos. I turned to my left. I remember I ran about two or three steps and instantly uh, I felt hot taps behind my right leg. Shot instantly. Uh, I was only about 10 feet away from the shooter when everything started. So I fell down quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was shot quickly. I fell down. Mm -hmm. I remember the screams, people running, jumping, trampling each other. At that moment, I, even though I knew I couldn't run, I still tried to get back up. And at that moment, I felt a heavy foot behind my left femur. And over the music, over the screams, I heard a snap. And I remember feeling the most excruciating pain that I have ever felt in my life. My femur is now broken in half. I remember I fell right back down. I couldn't move. I couldn't run. All I could do was cover my head. Every time I looked up, I would just see bodies falling one by one, people trying to run out the same door. And I remember an older lady fell right next to me. She was there with her son. She pushed her son out of the way and she was shot. And I remember she fell almost on top of me Mm -hmm. and uh, she was in pain. So I 
I immediately, because I'm a mama's boy, I, you know, I'm close to my mom. I saw her and I just grabbed her hand yeah. and I said, we're, we're going to be okay. Just stay here. We, we, we obviously can't go anywhere. Just stay right here. And um, in the meantime, it's the craziness is still going on. The, the, you know, the shots are going, people are, are trying to escape and now it gets quiet and I can hear the shots going on in the patio outside. Mm. And uh, so I took that moment to just lift my head and I look around and all I see is dead bodies around me. It's quiet, people barely moving. Uh, I couldn't believe what was happening. I kept on trying to pinch myself, telling myself, Angel, wake up from this nightmare. I never woke up. And at that moment, I hear footsteps coming in through the, the patio door. And I start hearing pop. And I can hear the pups getting closer. And now I realize that now he's shooting at everyone who's laying on the ground. He's making sure that we're all dead. And I could just hear the shots going on closer and closer. I kept on telling the lady, calm down. You need to pretend you're dead or hold your breath and just don't move. And I remember at that moment, I told myself, Angel, pretend you're dead. I remember I, I covered my face. I was still holding her hand with my other hand. I held my breath and I laid there still, as still as I could be, as dead as I could look. And I remember at that moment, I heard a loud pop. It was so loud that I, I had to open my eyes. And I remember at the same time that I opened my eyes, I see the body of the lady just jump up and down. Oh. I remember feeling her hand let loose of my hand. And I looked into her eyes and her eyes just closed slowly. I'm panicking because I would have never thought in my life I was going to see someone get murdered in front of my face. And now I'm panicking as well because he knows I'm alive. Mm -hmm. I'm holding her hand. I'm right here. My hand is in my face. Like he knows I'm alive and I could feel, I could feel him behind me. But the weird thing was that I wasn't hearing any shots. Nothing was happening, but I could feel him right there. And it was unusual because the shots were going one by one. It was like if he was just walking and just choosing who to shoot. So I took that moment and I said, okay, Lord, well, I guess this is a time that you're giving me to make peace with you because I'm about to die. There's no way I'm going to survive this. I'm out in the open. Nothing is covering me. He has perfect aim for my head, perfect aim for my back. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I started praying to the Lord, Lord, I started, you know, repenting and asking for forgiveness. I started telling him, Lord, I'm sorry that I walked away from you. You never walked away from me because he never leaves our side. We leave his side. We further ourselves from him. Right. And I kept on apologizing and telling him, Lord, I'm so sorry. Just take me with you right now. Take me with you because I'm about to die. But nothing was happening still. No, no shots. You know, I was praying in my head, still pretending I'm dead. No shots happening. And at that moment, something clicked in my head and I started to prophesy over my life. I said, you know what? No, I'm not leaving here dead today. I'm leaving here alive. And when I leave here alive, I'm going to worship you for the rest of my life, Father. I'm going to testify to the world what you have done for me. Wow. I kept on prophesying over my life. And I learned at that moment the power and the authority that the Lord has given us to change the atmosphere in whatever room that you are. You are able to walk in a room that's dead and you could live in it up with just your prayer. And I remember I was changing the atmosphere at that moment. I could feel spiritual warfare going on. Mm. And at that moment, what the enemy meant for evil, I turned it into good. And I started prophesying and I said, Lord, I'm not leaving here dead today. No, that's not going to happen. I'm leaving here alive. 
And at the moment that I said amen in my head, I said amen. And right there, I heard a pop, loud pop. I felt my body jump up and down from the ground. I remember feeling pain and a lot of heat in my midsection. And I remember I just saw black. I heard footsteps walking away and I actually was able to open my eyes and just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that I was there. I was alive. That I was able to take that pain because only from him, I had the strength to not scream, to not move while I was being shot again on the floor. I stood still. There was, it, it was like if something was just holding me at that moment holding me and consoling me and telling me, it's okay, you're going to be fine. And I remember I started hearing the shots going on in the other room. I'm thanking God that I'm alive at that moment. And I saw a flashlight coming in through the, through the door. It was the officers asking, you know, if anyone was alive, they were trying to whisper as low as they could. And I remember I put my hands up and uh, Officer uh, Omar Delgado came my way. And I remember, you know, I, I was crying to him, please carry me, take me out of here. And he, he told me, I can't carry you out of here. There's too much blood on the floor. There's too many bodies. I could easily drop you and you will be hurt again, but I can drag you out of here. And I told him, do whatever you have to do. He flipped me over and he just started to drag me out of there. So where was the gunman at this point? He was now in the other room. So now police are trying to come in through another door. Mm to save people as quiet as they could be because the shooter is still doing his job. He had hostages in, in, uh, in bathrooms mm-hmm. and um, there was still music low going on in the other room. So I believe he couldn't really hear everything. He thought he killed everyone in the other room. So right. I remember uh, when he started dragging me, I was scared because I was hearing the shots going on. I was scared that he was going to hear us and just come back and start shooting. I was in pain because now I'm being dragged over bodies, over glass. Mm. But at the same time, I'm yelling, run, run. Please take me out of here. I'm crying. And by the grace of God, we were able to get across the street. There was chaos already going on outside. I remember them dragging bodies around me and they were all dead. All I could do was thank God while I was laying on the ground. Finally, the ambulance came, and at that moment, it was a blur for me because I was losing a lot of blood. It was chaos in the hospital. There was an alarm that went off. Uh, It was Coach Silver, I remember. The nurses actually left us alone to die, and they had to protect themselves because Coach Silver is that now there's a shooter in the hospital. What? Yeah, and when that happens, nurses now have to protect themselves no matter what. So I remember the nurses just left and I was like, what is going on? And uh, people were running around. I remember seeing some of the survivors jumping out of their beds, trying to crawl into safety because now we all, we're all thinking there's a shooter in the hospital. Mm-mm-mm. And uh, a couple of minutes after um, someone came in and said, we're so sorry, it was a false alarm. It's <laughs> crazy. So then uh, the nurses came back and uh, tried to help us as quickly as they could. At 10.30 in the morning that day, I was put in surgery. As I was waking up from surgery, I was being strolled into my room. Mm. And that's where I saw my my family. I saw my dad, my mom, my sisters. And it was, even though I was in pain, it was one of the happiest moments because I I didn't think I was ever going to see them again. Right. What had your relationship with them been like in the days, months before the shooting? living in the lifestyle, I was so consumed in everything that I wanted to be away from my family. 
And not just because of that, but also because of the shame and the guilt that I had knowing that I was living the wrong way. My family actually did their best to, to treat me the same way. And I, I thank them for that. My mom was always the Jesus that I needed at that moment, you know, told me that she loved me. She will always be there for me. But most importantly, she always told me, I will love you, but I will never compromise the word of God. But I am here for you. And I thank her for that. I thank her that she wasn't a mom or my dad. Uh, I thank them that they weren't parents who bowed down to society because society's saying that, you know, this is who we are, how we feel is who we are. No, I, I, I'm so happy and grateful that they stood firm in the word of God. And I remember at that moment, I could just hug him. I asked him for forgiveness. One of the happiest moments for me, that was when the real process started. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hardest process was not going through the shooting, even though it was physically very hard. I was like a baby all over again. Um, I couldn't take showers on my own. I couldn't bend over. I couldn't walk. I had to learn how to walk all over again. Mm. So you were shot behind the legs before you fell. And then he shot you again in your midsection. Did it hit your spine or? So I was shot uh, behind my right legs, also on my hip area as well, which was the last shot. And that shot actually, um, thankfully, he shot me from above down. So thankfully that shot, it didn't go into where my stomach is. It actually went down and it shattered the bone that was broken. Okay. Okay. Even though it was, it was still painful, painful as heck. Uh, but I thank God that it went that way because if it went towards where my stomach is and all that, I would have bled to death quickly. Mm. A nurse came in a couple of days after and, um, the whole time I, I, I thought I was shot three times and the nurse comes in and says, Angel, you were approximately shot six times. What? I, I just had a blank, blank reaction because I'm like, well, first, I don't remember six times. Right. But um, they came up with six shots and, you know, I could just thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, there were people that died with one shot. Mm. I just thank the Lord. But I had to learn, you know, how to recover Physically, I lost my nerves in both legs and I went from a wheelchair to a walker to a cane. And thankfully to God, I'm now walking with no cane. Amen. Look at that. Are there any lasting effects still with you today? Um, Until this day, my right ankle, I could feel pain. Um, Until this day, if if I walk too long. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I, I see my scars and sometimes I have pain, but I don't whine. I just take that moment to thank the Lord that I'm still here today, yeah. you know, to be able to testify. So what happened in the days after you left the hospital? So now uh, the name Angel Cologne is known all over the world because I was the first interview Oh wow! after the shooting. I did an interview at the hospital two days after. I remember a nurse came in and said, Angel, um, can you do a quick press conference with a couple of the doctors here? And I said, okay, cool, that's fine. They were strolling me into the room and I go in there and it's hundreds of people that are just staring at me. They're waiting to hear a story. I had no idea it was going to go down this way. And I remember I did that interview and 20 minutes after I was all over the world, Mm. I started already getting calls to my hospital room from UK, from China, you know, all these spots just, you know, saying, you know, that they love me and stuff like that. So were you like talking about Jesus during that interview? No, no. You know, I already told my mom, yes, I'm going to go to church, especially after I'm going to do all that. Of course, I will be at church. (laughs) But I still not yet had the encounter with Jesus. It was a process. It was a long process. It was about a year and a half after post that I was still a hot mess, as Uh I say. And I say that because 
everything that I wanted before the shooting, as in fame, was coming my way now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I was going to church. Now I was in the worship team at church. But at the same time, I'm doing all these events with the LGBT community at the clubs. They were flying me to California, to New York. I was in two game magazines as well. The Advocate, uh, The Out 100. Um, I came out in, um, in the cover of The Advocate oh, wow. as well. That's and, like a yeah. gay man's dream. That's like the gay dream. Exactly. <laughs> Except everything that I wanted as the gay man is now coming my way. You know, I, I, was, I was a guest at the GLAAD Awards, mm-hmm. which is like the gay Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, all this was happening. And I'm thinking, I'm okay. You know, I have Jesus. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. But I didn't notice, you know, that I was living in two waters. Right. I, I now was hired with a speech company. I was speaking at colleges and universities, sharing my story, making the money that I always wanted before mm-hmm. Pulse. I was making a few thousands in just one hour of speaking. Wow. Everything was coming at me. Life was perfect. Mm-hmm. But I had the void inside of me. You know, and I would, I still was struggling with my identity, with my sexuality. And I remember I would speak to the Lord and I would argue with him and I would say, Lord, I went through this shooting. Thank you that I survived. I'm serving you. I'm worshiping you. Why am I still struggling? Mm. I still had the mentality that I had from the past when the church taught me that you only know that you're freed and you're delivered when you don't feel anything anymore, Mm. which is a complete lie. And I had that hope still inside of me. I'm like, Lord, I'm still struggling. Why am I not free? I'm doing everything that you want me to do. Mm-hmm. I started to focus too hard on trying to be straight. Right. So a year went by and the world loves me because I'm this big advocate, but I'm not happy still. Mm. And I remember there was one day where I dropped to my knees and I was praying to the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I give you my temptations. I give you my struggles. But not only that, I give you my whole heart. Mm -hmm. I surrender to you completely. Take everything of me. You own me. And I remember at that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Angel, that's all he wanted. Mm -hmm. He wanted you to surrender to him completely. He wants you to love him. He wants you to get to know him more. And guess what, Angel? Don't worry about your sexuality. He will take care of that. Stop focusing on that. And, you know... That's when I started the process of learning what was it like to really fall in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I noticed that my, my years before in church, I was not in love with Jesus. I was living a checklist. Mm-hmm. I act like a Christian. I sing like a Christian. I was living a checklist and not living the gospel of God. Mm. It, was, it was a beautiful process. That's when my life changed completely the moment I made that prayer. And it's, you know, it's crazy because a lot of times we focus so much on one struggle that we have in our lives. And we tell people, stop idolizing and making sin bigger than the other. And sometimes we do that ourselves. Yep. And that's what I was doing. I was praying to the Lord to make me straight. And that's the only thing that I was praying for when I had so many other things that was wrong with me. So many other things that had to be restored in my life. And we don't notice that. That's why I, I tell people now when, um, when they come up to me and they're like, hey, can you pray for my gay friend because he's gay? I said, first of all, don't introduce him as your gay friend because you're speaking that into their life. And secondly, pray for their heart because there's so much more to them than their sexuality. There's so much more to them than being gay or lesbian. There's a lot more. I tell families, start praying for your child's heart and start praying for your heart that you can see them through the lens of Jesus.
love them through their process because it's not an easy process that we go through, you know, trying to deny our flesh every single day for Jesus. You know, I remember hearing that verse since I was a child and, you know, and I would say, yes, I would deny everything for Christ, but not until I really had to deny my flesh for Jesus, I understood that verse, you know, for some people, the temptation and the struggle is gone like that, you know, and I can believe it because God is the almighty. He, Mm -hmm. nothing is impossible for him, but for others, the struggle is there, but that's where I learned what true freedom and what true deliverance is. And I learned that yes, struggles and temptations are going to come their way. Of course, the enemy is going to use your past. Why wouldn't he? But the moment that you can look at temptation in the face and say, I don't want you, I want Jesus, that's freedom. Boom. When you're not a slave to your struggles and your temptations, that's what deliverance is and freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember I've told that to a couple guys and that's brought freedom to them because they were so stuck in the mentality that I was in. Saying, Lord, I'm still tempted. I still got attracted here and there to guys. That means that this is me and that's it, you know, and that's why there are so many people still living the lifestyle because of the feeling. And now society is taking advantage of that and saying, well, that's the way you feel. That's who you are. You know, that's your identity, you know, and in this process, I learned that identity is not in what society says. Identity is not what sexuality is. Identity is not what you think you are, but identity is in Jesus because he lives in you. Mm. And to be real, you know, I do get tempted, you know, struggles come my way. Everyone gets struggled with something. Right. But the beautiful thing about that is I know that I have the option to turn away from that temptation. Mm -hmm. I have the word of God to turn away from that temptation. And it's a sacrifice. And I think that it's a beautiful sacrifice that the Lord sees that you're sacrificing, you're denying your flesh every single day for him. That's beautiful. A lot of us see it as in, you know, you get depressed that you're, you're always denying your flesh every day, that you're always struggling every day. But now I see it as a beautiful sacrifice. You know, I see it through the lens of Jesus and how he feels when you give up so much for him because he gave up so much for you. So you began denying your fleshly sexual desires, but I'm assuming you also had to give up a lot professionally. I mean, you went from being a gay icon, to a celibate believer in homosexuality as sin. How did your friends and broader community react? Um, I remember I did an article with Charisma, and it was sharing my full story. And at the moment that that story came out, everything stopped. The events stopped. The calls stopped. The support stopped the income stopped. Mm. It was crazy. Everybody turned their backs on me. The trash talk on social media, the way that people perceived me, the way that people looked at me when I would go out because you could tell when people are staring at you like, ugh. Mm. You know, it was hard. There were a lot of tears at that moment. But I would not trade it for the world because that taught me what trusting in God really is. And that brought me to a whole other level of being bold with Jesus Christ, because now I can walk in wherever I want to and say, Jesus has set me free. Do you want to know my story? Mm. I was so scared in the beginning because Louise actually was the first one to to share her story. Mm. 
publicly and I saw the backlash and the persecution. And I remember him calling me and him crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to lose the people that have been closest to me during this tragedy. Mm -hmm. Until, you know, the Holy Spirit said, Angel, that is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Declare my name publicly and share what I've done in your life. Mm -hmm. And as painful as it was, I would never trade it for the world. So you shared your story in that article. What was the journey from that article to the ministry you're now in? Um, I got in contact with Louise again. We met up, we had lunch, uh, we reconnected, and we were like, why not fight for the kingdom together? We both come from the same tragedy, different stories. Why not unite and share our stories together? And we prayed and we fasted for a name and fearless identity came up you know, understanding that his identity, Jesus, was fearless mm. and he was not scared, you know, to speak truth. And um, so now we have fearless identity where we equip pastors and churches on how to welcome LGBT into the, into the church, how to build a bridge because Christians are, are known as being hateful, as being judgmental. And we want to break that. We want to break that. Um, we still have relationships with gay people because they now see how loving we are Mm. that yes we have different beliefs but i'm still gonna love you like jesus loves you right that's what we're trying to teach the church today as well we're trying to teach openness as well because there's so many men who are married who are still struggling with this and are not speaking out and are struggling with this on their own Mm -hmm. and you know in the bible it says pray for each other confess to each other and revelations 12 says he overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony yes so we're teaching people confess to each other pray for each other and share your story to the world because that brings freedom to you Mm-hmm. Me sharing my story to the world was the big turning point in my life. Yeah. And I would not trade it for the world. And I understand a lot of people are still scared. And it's understandable because I was scared. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge step to make. And that's why I took, I took so long. I, I shared my story in 2018. Okay. So two years after. Yes. That's how long it was where I really was like, okay, Lord, let your will be done. I started to get to know other people with the same stories. I got to know um, what now is the Freedom March. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm now in the team where we do a march in big cities around the U.S. and we share 12 testimonies and we do worship there as well. We've done D.C. twice. We've done L.A. We're doing ATL in October. Um, We did Orlando last November. Powerful, powerful marches where we're now, you know, declaring to the world that there is freedom and that those cities will find freedom in Jesus Christ. Mm. It's been beautiful. I get a lot of hate still, but what makes it all worth it is those messages that that I get from people wanting to find freedom, asking me, Angel, I see you. How do you do it? I want that freedom too. And that's what makes it all worth it. But most importantly, now I have true love, true happiness, and true peace in my life that I never had before. Mm. And God has just been amazing. Amazing. Wow. That's an insane story. I think that what's so interesting is that the freedom that you found, like, of course, God used this tragedy to make it happen, but the tragedy itself is not your story. You're kind of known as the Pulse guy who became a Christian, but the Pulse part was like a catalyst for something. But God's movement is the thing that 
changed you. It wasn't pulsed. And yeah, the Lord has done so much in me. So much more is happening now. Uh, you know, I'm testifying in churches, but now my music worship side is coming out as well. There's more to me. I'm more than a victim. Right. Um, just like the uh, documentary that just came out uh, of me and Louise is called More Than a Victim. You know, what we're doing now, what our story is now. You know, yes, the post story is, is great. It's insane, but there's more to us. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is going to keep on doing more things. Absolutely. So what is the ultimate goal for Fearless Identity? Obviously, God knows, but what is the vision? We want to create hubs around churches, around cities. We want to create a safe place for people that are scared to speak out, for people that are scared to testify still. We want to be there. We want to create leaders who can have these hubs all around the U.S., all around the world. Hmm. A safe place, and not only for people who want to leave the lifestyle. People who are in the lifestyle, we want them to get to know us. And when they get to know us, we want them to see Jesus, and then they will want freedom in their lives. We want freedom for the souls. Freedom for the souls. And if the Lord did it for me and for Louise, he could do it for anyone. He can do it for anyone. And um, we will keep on sharing stories, uh, testimonies in our pages and our social media because the world is trying to silence us, to say that we are not real, that we don't exist, and we do exist. And for the rest of our lives, we're going to keep testifying. We're going to keep sharing because lives are being freed. Lives are being freed and they're coming out of the woodworks like crazy. There's a harvest that's coming. There's a harvest that's coming and we just want to prepare the churches to welcome them with open arms, yeah. to be there for them, to introduce them to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You know, a skeptic might say that it's just your culture or your upbringing that has led you back to this place of celibacy, that it's just internalized homophobia that's led you to believe that you are living in sin. How would you respond to that? Yes, of course. There was a moment where I really thought that this was just who I was. And I really thought that it was just because of my upbringing that I wanted to go back until I, I met so many people who weren't brought up in the church, who weren't brought up in, you know, in, in the word of God. And it's feeling that, that void. You're, you're trying to find it and you don't find it. And um, when people are introduced to Jesus, not even by the Bible, but by you, they see something different, you know, because I don't preach down the throat. I don't, I don't, I don't try and do that. I don't try to change people. I try to make them come to me by the way that I treat them. Even people that don't believe in the word of God, they see that there is a difference and they will ask and say, how, how are you like that? How do you not have PTSD after going through a shooting like that? How are you living life with a smile after going through something like that? Because there are so many survivors who are still going through it. And I always tell people, it's Jesus Christ. He is not the Jesus that many say that he is, that will be mad at you for living this way, that will not talk to you. No, I let people know, just talk to him. Give him one chance. Mm. Get to know him. And that's what I tell people. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus, fall in love with him and with his word. Mm. And from there on, you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. A lot of people see the difference there when they just focus on getting to know Jesus. That's when my life changed, when I focused on just him, on getting to know this man. Who is this man that I thought I knew? 
who is this man? Who really is this man? And in the Bible, you see that he loved the sinners so much. Mm-hmm. Who is that Jesus? Yeah. Get to know that Jesus and he will change your life. Mm-hmm. And briefly, what was your healing process like? Was that a huge part of you getting to know Jesus? That mental renewal after the shooting? Yes, it was It was mainly um, my process with Jesus. And also, even in the hospital, I, I, I thought to myself, okay, Angel, you went through this. I knew that I wanted to get over this somehow. And I always felt that it was speaking about my story, but it got to a whole other level when I started testifying of what mm-hmm. God has done in me. Mm-hmm. That is what really brought the healing. Mm-hmm. I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't have flashbacks. Here and there, there's dreams, of course, of that night, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can truly say that the Lord has healed me from PTSD. Praise him. That's incredible. He's good. God is good. He is. And I really just thank him for bringing you here. You have an incredible story. Of course, it's very controversial, but I know it's going to encourage and edify many, many people. So thank you so much. Amen. I'm happy. I'm glad that we were able to do this, Adira. To learn more about Angel's ministry, visit fearlessidentity.co. And of course, be sure to check out our ministry at thengodmoved.com or on Instagram at thengodmoved. And with that, I'll see you next time.